0: Morning church. It's a joy to to gather together to study God's word. It's a joy to spend some time learning from God's word. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. And I'm going to read from verse five to set the context. Colossians chapter three. And we are we are continuing with our study here in the book of Colossians, and we will be looking at verse 12 all the way to verse 17, but I'll start reading from verse five to set the context. And it reads as follows. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the title of my sermon is Living the Christian Life, a new humanity prescribed, living the Christian life. And we have seen in our text that From verse 12, it begins with these words, put on, put on. You see, brothers and sisters, the section that we are looking at this morning prescribes and it describes to us marks of men and women who have been raised with Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, here we not only see a description of the Christian life, but we also see a prescription of the Christian life. So, in other words, this this text does not tell us what we must be to be saved. It tells us what we must be if we are saved. You see, this text tells us what God expects from us. Here we see what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. See, so let me state it again, brothers and, sister, brothers and sisters. You see, this text of scripture does not tell us how to become Christians. It tells us what the Christian life looks like. It tells us how Christians must live. It's critical to remember this. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, not by our good behavior. You see, our passage here tells us things that we need to do in order to show that we are saved. It does not tell us about things we need to do in order to be saved, it tells us about behaviors that we must adopt since we are now accepted by God. And we need to make sure that we fully understand this truth, that we are saved by the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and not by what we do. We are rescued by faith in Jesus Christ alone and we are accepted by God because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and not anything that we do. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ can we find forgiveness with God. Amen. Now Colossians chapter 3 begins with a call to fight sin. It says, now that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is how you should be living your life now that you have believed in jesus christ this is the direction that your life needs to take now that you are new now that you are raised with christ this is the life that you must live this is the path that you must walk this is how you must talk this is how you must think this is how you must live colossians chapter 3 begins with the words in verse 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you We look at the same chapter in verse 9, put off the old self with its practices. And as you get to verse 10, we see a shift here. It says, put on. Brothers and sisters, this is the key to the Christian life. Put off and put on. You see, the Bible wants the believer of vices to forsake and virtues to embrace. The Bible encourages a Christian to put off sin in them and to put on righteousness, righteous living in them. It tells us here, vices to forsake and virtues to embrace. This is the Christian life defined. Vices to forsake, virtues to embrace. For time this morning, I want you to see that living the Christian life requires us to see the goodness of God in what he commands and to see the benefits that Christian obedience has towards the Christian community and the unbelieving world. And this is our focus this morning. I want you to see that God commands things that are good for us. And I also want you to see the benefits that comes from obeying God, the benefits that the Christian community derives from our obedience towards God and the benefits that the unbelieving world can find when Christians are living in obedience to God. So I want to begin with our first point, a perspective that encourages obedience. A perspective that encourages obedience. See, God's commands stem from his love. In other words, God's commands stem from his goodness towards us. You see, if you want to thrive in your obedience in the Christian life, you need to start here. You need to have this new perspective that sees the commands of God as things that come from the love of God. You see, the commands of God do not come from God's desire to make us suffer or from God's desire to punish us, but they come from the heart of love and the heart of grace towards us as believers. You need to have this perspective that God's commands are an expression of his goodness and an expression of his love towards us. And let's see this from our text. Where do we get this from our text? Look at verse 4. It says... Uh, Look at Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, put on then as, as what? As God's chosen ones, as holy and as beloved. See, I want you to see that here before the Bible gives us any instructions here, we are reminded and we are assured of God's goodness towards us. See, this text can be rendered this way. Remember that you are chosen by God. Remember that you have been made holy and acceptable by God. Remember that you are the recipients of God's love. Now, obey. See, brothers and sisters, this is the perspective that must encourage obedience. To obey God faithfully, you must first believe that there is nothing sinister in the commands of God, there is nothing harmful in what God instructs, there is nothing evil, there is nothing punitive about the commands of God. This is the perspective that we must embrace. If you want to obey God fully, you need to see that what God commands come from His love towards us. God's commands are rooted in God's goodness. God's commands are firmly established in God's love. God's commands are an expression of God's pleasure towards his people. All the commands of God are meant to drive us to enjoy God, to live fully, to be free, to be a blessing to others. This is why this text begins with this reminder of who we are. We are God's beloved. We are God's chosen ones. And before the Bible gives us instructions here, it starts with this reminder. It starts with this perspective that we need to embrace. So I want you to see that this is not an isolated teaching. In Genesis, we see God tells Adam, "You can eat everything except the tree of life." See, what God tells Abram, what God tells Adam is that I have given you everything that you need for your sustenance. I've given you a wife. I've given you all that you need for your, for your sustenance, all you need for your, for, for your relationships, but do not do this one thing. You see this pattern, God's commands stem from his love. You see, God had given Adam everything that he needed, and there was only one thing that God had forbid him from doing. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Ten Commandments begin with this statement Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. How often do we forget the beginning of that chapter? How often do we forget the beginning of these words in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments? That they don't just begin with giving instructions, but they begin with a reminder of God's goodness towards his people. That I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. who brought you out of the land of slavery i am the lord your rescuer the lord your redeemer and therefore obey me see the commands of god stem from god's goodness and god's love towards his people and this is the perspective that we must embrace if you want to live a life that honors God. You see, if you see God's commands as God's punishment and God's restriction towards you, you'll not obey fully. But if you see God's commands as God's expression of his love towards you, then you'll love him and obey fully because you know what God desires for you is what's good for you and what God longs for you and what God commands to you is what's beneficial towards you. This pattern you see over and over in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus, he, he issues out this great invitation. He says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus here speaks to people under a burden of sin. He says, turn away from your master who is sin and Satan. See how he has laid heavy burdens upon you. See how he gives no rest. And then he says, come to me. For I am gentle and lowly. And he says, yes. I will give you a yoke, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's commands stem from his love and his goodness towards us. We see this in Romans chapter 12. It begins here I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then the command. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Before you you, you, you venture on to present your body as a living sacrifice to God, what must you do? Remember the mercies of God. God's commands stem from God's goodness towards you. Brothers and sisters, embrace this perspective. Consider the mercies of God in your life. See the forgiveness of God. See the compassion of God. See the love of God in your life and then give your life to God. God's commands stem from his love and goodness. Do you see this? Do you see this in our text? Do you see this in Colossians 3 verse 12? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is a reminder of who you are, a reminder of what God has made you because of his son, Jesus Christ. You are chosen by God. You are made holy and acceptable by God. You are the recipient of God's love. Now, obey. This is the perspective that encourages obedience. Brothers and sisters, always remember that you are loved by God. You are cherished by God. You are chosen by God. You are accepted by God. You are adopted by God and you are acceptable before God because of Jesus Christ and therefore obey God based on the truth about you. Learn this perspective, believe it, teach it, preach it to yourself. Brothers and sisters, the devil fights harder to make you forget to make you deny this perspective you see sin makes a direct assault at this perspective you see satan comes saying god has a hidden agenda in his laws you see sin says god is keeping the good stuff from you god is not reasonable why would god deny that Sin says that's not normal, that's not okay, that's not practical, that's not sustainable. God does not love you and God wants to restrict you. That's the voice of the enemy. God is too restrictive. God makes a big fuss about nothing. God does not love you, God is not good. Sin wants you to doubt God's goodness. It says a loving God would not give any commands. A good god would not bring any restrictions a caring god would actually let me do what i want brothers and sisters remember that whenever you hear someone speaks about god in this way they are not describing the god of the bible they are describing the god of their own imagination because a god who gives no restrictions is a god that you made up choose to believe the bible God's commands stem from his love and his goodness towards you. This is the perspective that encourages obedience. Recalibrate your attitude towards God's commands. Put on a perspective that encourages obedience. Now let's look at our second point. Put on attributes of a new humanity. Let's continue with our text, Colossians 3, verse 12. Look there in your Bible. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Brothers and sisters, in verse 12, we see a list of overlapping virtues and attitudes and characteristics. See, the command here, I'm going to take that list together and put it together in one group, and the command here is that we must be a loving community. Christians are called to be a loving community. We must be people with compassionate hearts. We must be people with kindness. We must be people with humility. We must be people with meekness and patience. We must be forgiving people. We must bear one another, bear with one another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven. A loving community is identified by these virtues. Compassionate hearts, other versions say bowels of mercy or tender-hearted mercy. So this means that we must be concerned about someone else's bad circumstances. This is the high calling that Christian has called for every individual, that you'd be one with a compassionate heart, kindness and humility. This means that our attitudes towards others and our speech towards others must always be respectful and not condescending and without any form of hypocrisy. It It is such a shame that in our day, Many people mock the virtue of kindness. I've heard some people say we have made up the eleventh commandment, namely, "Thou shalt be nice." But brothers and sisters, kindness is not a virtue for us to mock. It is. It is not a vice. It is a virtue see however strongly you may feel about something however strong your convictions may be if your attitude and your approach towards other people is one that does not have kindness and let me tell you my brother and my sister you are not acting worthy of the gospel of jesus christ in fact not being kind is a sin remember that i'm not putting before you suggestions this morning see what i'm preaching here is not optional it's not at your discretion it is not up to the individual it's it's not something that you must do if you feel like these are commands of our lord jesus christ and we must obey them and the christian is called to commend the gospel to others See, the Christian must make other Christians to be thankful and joyful to be Christians, and the Christian must furthermore make unbelievers to desire and long to become Christians. And so it's a contradiction for a Christian to be unkind. This is the prescription of a new humanity. We must be a loving community by being compassionate, by being kind and humble. We are also called to be meek and patient. See, meekness is the opposite of rudeness and harshness. And patience is the opposite of resentment, of revenge, of wrath. You see, this kind of person is a person who is not quick to retaliate. They are not quick to fight back. They are willing to be wrong. And these are the marks that should identify christians these are the marks that should identify those who have put their faith in jesus christ these are the characteristics that we must put on meekness and patience in a world that preaches that we must elevate ourselves that we must put ourselves first before others that we must take care of number one. That we must elevate ourselves, make sure that we are above others. The Bible tells us something that's countercultural, Something that's against the grain of the society. It says believers must be marked with meekness and patience. In a world where patience is mocked, where patience is and meekness and humility is equated with weakness the bible calls us to not listen to the world to say let every man be a liar and let god be true brothers and sisters imagine a home imagine a church where the mothers and the fathers are meek and patient imagine a home where the children have been trained in meekness and gentleness imagine a community Where true Christians set an example with compassion, with kindness and humility, with gentleness, with meekness, with patience. Imagine a church where believers bear with one another and forgive one another. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to imagine that. We can be that. And that's what the scripture says. Be who you are. We need to grow in these virtues. Whether we are at home or at work, whether we are in the community, whether we are in public or in private, we need to exemplify these virtues. We need to exemplify these virtues when it's easy and when it's hard. We need to be who we are, even when it seems like it's impossible to do that. That's the high calling of a Christian. Be a loving community. Look at verse 14. And above all, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, without love, other virtues cease to have the value that they are meant to have. You cannot be compassionate. You cannot be gentle and kind. You cannot show humility. You cannot be meek. And you cannot give, forgive others if you do not love them. And the reminder is key here. This is what needs to drive us to express these characters even when it's not easy. It is our love and our commitment to the brothers and sisters and our love and commitment to our God and Savior. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 1 and 2, it says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us see the next virtue that we must put on. Look at verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does this mean? It means here that let jesus christ himself be your assurance of salvation find your peace in the accomplishments in the work in the completed work of jesus christ you see the idea here is work hard to live a new life but don't rely on your own works for your acceptance before God. Never put your assurance of salvation in your own efforts. Remember that it is Jesus who has accomplished the peace that you have with God, and it is Jesus Christ who will sustain it. One commentator, William Hendrickson, says about this verse, this peace is the condition of rest and contentment in the hearts of those who know that their Redeemer lives. It is the conviction that the sins of the past have been forgiven. It is the conviction that the present is being overruled for good. And it is a conviction that the future cannot bring about separation between Christ and his own. Amen. This is the peace that we are called to embrace. This is the peace that must rule in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul here says, preach this truth to yourself. Remind yourself that Jesus is enough. Believe it, trust it, meditate on it. Realize that Jesus is your only comfort in life and in death. What peace can give, what truth can give me peace in all circumstances? It is the truth that I'm not my own, but I belong in body and in soul and in life and in death to my faithful Savior. Jesus Christ. Remind yourself of this truth. Remind yourself that Jesus has fully paid for all your sins with his precious blood. Remind yourself that Jesus Christ has set you free from the tyranny of the devil. Remind yourself that Jesus Christ watches over you, watches over your soul. He protects you, he sustains you, and he keeps you, and he'll ultimately glorify you and bring you perfected before the holy God. Remember that it is Jesus Christ who will present you before God as one who is holy and blameless and above reproach. Remember that it is he who makes you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Remember that it is Jesus who accomplished the peace that you have with God and it is Jesus who will sustain this peace. As we continue with our text, we see our next virtue, be thankful. Look at the end of verse 15 and the end of verse 17. Be thankful. Give thanks to God the Father. See, thankfulness is an expression of your understanding of grace. So, in other words, a thankful person is one who realizes that all blessings come from the hand of god you see one who is thankful is one who expresses their dependence upon god it is someone who says without god i am nothing and without god i can do nothing thankfulness is to glorify god it is to say to god you are the supplier of all things and you are the sustainer of all things show me Someone who's not thankful, I'll show you someone who lacks joy. Show me someone who's not thankful, I'll show you someone who lacks contentment. Show me someone who's not thankful, I'll show you someone who expects to be saved by everyone. I'll show you someone who is quick to see problems. Someone who is easy to offend someone who is not willing to serve others. Thankfulness is a virtue that we must all work hard on. Thankfulness and gratitude must be always in our hearts and must be always on our lips. This must be the unmistaken, unmistakable character of one who has been redeemed by Christ. We must be marked by this attitude of thankfulness through and through. Brothers and sisters, thankfulness is an antidote to entitlement. Thankfulness is a cure for grumbling. Thankfulness is a solution to complaining. And thankfulness is a corrective to selfishness. How are you doing with this? As we come to the end of the year, when was the last time you've expressed thankfulness to God? When is the last time you've expressed thankfulness to others in specific ways? Thankfulness gives glory to God and it gives much encouragement to God's people. Consider how you can live a life of thankfulness. Consider how you can express more thanks to others. Let us look at the next version that we are called to put on. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, study, teach and admonish and sing. See here, the word of Christ is the Bible. And to dwell richly means that the Bible must govern, must influence, and take priority in your life. You see, this Bible, the the special revelation of God, should govern every thought, every word, and every deed of your life. The Bible should influence everything about you in a richly way. See, being a christian means that you have forsaken all others and now you take your matching orders from jesus christ and he has spoken through his word the bible being a christian means that your thinking and your decision making must be aligned with the principles of god's word you see if the bible says one thing and the society says another you must stick with the bible if the bible commands what society forbids you must obey the bible the bible stands superior to our traditions the bible stands superior to our cultures to our norms and our society all believers must be marked by an obedience to the word of god let the word of christ dwell richly in you then as the text continues it says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And the question is, how? How, how does the word of Christ dwell richly in us? In what ways does this happen? It happens through the Bible, through Bible intake, through the studying of the Bible, when we heed the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we handle the Bible right, when we hide the Bible in our hearts, when we teach the Bible to others. And as the text continues here in verse 16, it says, this word of Christ will dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then it also says in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, the word of Christ will dwell richly in us. And the Bible here tells us through singing, through singing, singing is instructed for all. See, it does not say that only the, the ones with the talented voices, everyone. If you want the Bible to dwell richly in you, if you want the word of Christ to dwell richly in you, the Bible tells us here that in addition to studying the Bible and memorizing the Bible, we must also sing the truth of the Bible. Why is singing so important? Singing helps us to remember ways of truth. Consider the song in Christ alone. Imagine if we remove the melody of the song and uh, during the service we say, well, we are going to recite in Christ alone, and then we stand saying, say, in Christ alone, who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. And many of you will start stuttering at the second verse, right? But once we put melody to these words, the words stick. The words stick. So singing helps us to remember. Singing helps us also to engage emotionally with words. Singing helps us to engage emotionally with words. That is why one of the large chunks of scripture, the Psalms, is called the hymn book of the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament brethren used to sing the Psalms. And, and they did that because there was a connection there between the melody and the words. There's a connection there where singing helps us to engage with words, to engage emotionally. Singing connects the words we sing with our hearts. You see, singing is a way of connecting what's in the head with what's in the heart. This is God's design. You see, the truth in our heads must align with the feelings in our hearts. Music is capable of moving us in subtle and profound ways. John Wesley, one of the famous hymn writers, he says, Sing with passion and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half half asleep. Sing with your voice, lift up your voice with strength. And he says this: Be no more afraid of your voice now no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. You see, he says, uh, if, you, if you had a, a previous life before Christ where you used to enjoy singing the songs of the world and you raised your voice and you even danced to them, now that you are a believer, do not restrain yourself. Sing with that same passion to God. Now you are singing the truth of God. One author wrote this, he says, let me write the songs of the nation and I care not who write the laws. The idea here is that the songs that people sing are profound in influencing our thinking and our actions more than we realize. So brothers and sisters, learn the songs of truth memorize them. Sing with passion. When we gather together as a church, sing with passion, knowing that singing is one of the means that God has ordained that you would learn the truth of his word. That is why we sing Christ-centered songs. That is why we we sing rich, Bible-centered songs. Because we want these words of truth to ring in your hearts and to ring in your heads. As you go to your homes, as you spend your day at your work, as you interact with other people, we want you to remember the truth of God's word. And singing is one of the helpful things. And our, our text tells us that. Learn the rich songs that are full of truth. Teach them to your children. Have a culture and tradition of singing when you have visitors in your homes. Spend dedicated time with your family singing. Let us close with this one more point. Virtue to put on. Be Christ honoring in all things. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pay attention to these words in verse 17, in the name of the Lord Jesus. To do something in the name of someone means to act in their name. It means you represent them. Or it also means that you are empowered by them to do so so here's the idea here here's the the big idea of this verse the Bible is saying to us Christians remember that you represent Jesus Christ see the Bible is saying to us this morning look at your life and ask yourself this question look at your life And ask yourself this question can I really do this if I am representing the Lord Jesus Christ can I really say this if I am representing the Lord Jesus Christ can I really act this way if I am representing the Lord Jesus Christ first Peter chapter 2 verse 12 it says be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world." So in other words, Christians are not allowed to make statements like, "Ah, this situation, I must put my Christianity aside. I must deal with it man to man. You are you are called to represent Jesus Christ in all things and even when it is hard to do so. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. The point is not that we must speculate or ask What would Jesus do? But we must ask, what did Jesus instruct? What does the Bible say about my actions, my words, my life, my situation? What does the Bible have to say about my speech? What does the Bible have to say about forgiveness, about compassion, about humility and purity? Can I really do this if I am representing the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what it means to be Christ-honoring in all things. Amen. Let me make three closing comments to drive the point home and then we'll close. First, you cannot live the Christian life in isolation. You cannot live the Christian life in isolation. Community and commitment to that community is how God has designed Christianity to work. None of these virtues work if you are isolated from the Christian community. God calls all Christians to show compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another. How then are you able to do this if you are isolated and not committed? Number two, always get the order right. All religions teach that we must obey, then we will be accepted. But. Christianity says, you are accepted, therefore obey. All religions say, fix yourself up, try harder, show God that you are serious, do stuff, and then you will be saved. Christianity says we are accepted by faith in Christ. This is enough, only by faith, only by faith in his finished work, and therefore we will obey. Even when our obedience is, comes with failures at times but we will continue to obey because we are accepted not by what we do but what christ has accomplished for us and therefore we obey because we love god and we are thankful to him we obey out of thankfulness and not out of a desire to end salvation so always Remember, always, get the order right. What I have been preaching about this morning is not how to become a Christian, but it is how you live the Christian life. You become a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ alone and and his completed work, his finished work. and, And at that point, you are accepted by God. And then this follows. And third, love the church that God has placed you in. Love the church that God has placed you in. It's easy to fall into the trap of desiring what is out there, you know, oh, if we were like this church or this other church, if our fellowship and relationships were as strong as those in, in those other churches, you know, uh, this would be so nice. You, let me remind you that you have a wonderful opportunity to create that here and this is a new church and most of us our relationships are new we don't know each other very well this is an opportunity for you to grow in that area to love the church that God has placed you in how is your commitment towards this local church what efforts are you taking to know people here to love people here to immerse yourself fully here. How many people have you tried to connect with outside of the Sunday services? As we go to this December period, this uh, time off, I want to encourage you to take an opportunity to get to know someone very well that you don't know. Take this opportunity to invite people in your homes to get to know people better. Brothers and sisters, put on a perspective that encourages obedience and put on attributes of a new humanity. Colossians three seventeen. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.